Okay, good morning. We continue our series in Learning to Wait. Please keep Isaiah 11 open and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have just read some incredible words in this passage. Amazing pictures and glimpses of this future that you have promised. Wonderful peace and justice. Father, as we explore these verses this morning, give us understanding, give us clarity of what they mean, and encourage us, inspire us, help us. May we look to you, trust in you, rejoice and be glad that these days are coming as you promised. Comfort us this morning, give us confidence in you. Help us remove all distractions from our minds. Father, answer our questions this morning and be glorified in in all that we do and say. Amen. In his 1984 book, A Human Approach to World Peace, the Dalai Lama, Buddhism's great holy leader, outlines his beliefs for how we can solve all the problems of our world. In a recent essay on this subject, he begins by stating the obvious difficulties and frustrations and um, wars and disasters and crime that the world faces. He pictures it very well. And he shows how when we put on the news report, all we see are sad stories of death and disaster. And ask the question, how can we solve the problem of human beings killing each other? Well, the Dalai Lama's response, his solution is for humanity to come together, to work together, to take responsibility for the sake of humanity. And he believes by everyone working together, we really can change the world. Now, he means that as we come together, we must be motivated by mutual interest and not self-interest. We need to have relationships based on compassion and love and not greed and jealousy. We need to respect one another because we're all human beings together. We're all part of the same family. His solution includes world religions that teach peace. They need to set an example for world political leaders to take the initiative in understanding other people's points of view and and trying to find a compromise. Many good ideas, many things that sound as if they would be really helpful in our world. But I think that Dalai Lama has made one vital error. And he has misdiagnosed the state of the human heart. Everybody might say they want peace. But of course, we all want peace on our own terms, in our own way. And history just proves the point. Whatever happens, the human heart, in all its goodwill, is just naturally sinful and selfish and so our human approach to trying to solve peace peace will just always fail of course world leaders well they indeed have much influence in how the world relates to one another and how the world works as we know just this last week british politicians have been voting and they voted to bomb syria with the hope of future peace in our nation But can our leaders bring peace? Can they solve the problems? Can we trust them to do it? Will they bring us through the conflict? Well, politicians have a reputation of not being liked or not being trusted or finding it hard to trust them. 
We know in recent years, politicians have been caught in expenses scandals. Some are currently involved in sex scandals. Maybe you're just tired of world, world leaders making promises that they're just not keeping. We find it hard to trust their sincerity and their motives. What we really need is good leaders, wise, understanding, just leaders that will make good decisions, right decisions, that will bring peace, that will really accomplish what they promised to do. And not just in terms of world peace, but in terms of peace for you, for your own life, for your own situation, for the struggles and difficulties that you face, for the oppression that you experience, perhaps due to poor leadership or poor justice. Well, the people in Isaiah's day, they faced a very similar situation. They lived under rulers who were leading, but they were leading for their own interest. They were interested in power and control rather than the people, and especially rather than obeying God. Isaiah, here at the beginning of chapter 11, and these verses here, he's speaking at a time when there was a king called Ahaz on the throne. And Ahaz was being attacked by foreign nations, and he had a decision to make. Was he going to trust God to deliver him, as God had promised? Or was he going to trust Assyria, make allegiance with them? Well, King Ahaz did not want anything to do with God, and so he trusted in Assyria. And that was his downfall. As a result, the very existence of Judah was, was in danger. But yet God was not going to let his people be destroyed. And so he, he said that if Ahaz does not believe me, and if he is not going to stand for me, then I will raise up a king who will. One who will love me. One who will deliver my people. One who will bring peace. And so we have chapter 11. And this promise of a future king, one who will come to judge one who will come to bring great peace. And so for the people in Isaiah's day, and for us here today, we long for peace. We wait for a leader to come to bring peace. Peace that will last. Peace that is selfless. This morning, as we see in this chapter, there is a hope. There's a reason to be confident as we see this promised king who is wise and will bring peace. So how can, we, how can we be comforted in these verses? How do these verses help us wait, wait for the Lord and trust in him? Well, firstly, we can wait and we can trust because of the character of the judge. The character of the judge. We see in verses 1 to 5, we meet here this king who is the judge, and we see three things. We see who he is. Who is this king? We see what he's like, his character, and then we see what he will do, what he does. So firstly, who is he? Who is this one? Well, verse one, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. What? When we read this kind of language, when we read prophetic uh, material and prophecies, we need to understand that we're reading a very different kind of literature than we read when we did Philippians, for example, in the New Testament. It's a different genre of literature. It's poetic. It's full of metaphor and wonderful pictures, as we saw, as we read. 
And the Bible is full of pictures, it's full of metaphor that describe realities to help us understand what they mean and to understand the greatness of them. Using human picture language that we can see with our eyes to help us understand great truths. And we need to take a, sometimes a big picture view of what the Bible says about various pictures and images to help us understand how they unfold and particularly how they flow through to the New Testament, how we see them fulfilled, how we see Jesus often being the reality of what the picture is pointing towards. Now, think back to last week, Isaiah chapter 2. What I didn't say was that there's many pictures there too, but one picture of, of Zion, that of Jerusalem, and that's not just there, but it occurs all the way through the Bible, Jerusalem. It even starts back in Genesis. And as you go through the Bible story, you see here Jerusalem becomes the capital city of Israel under King David. But then Jerusalem is destroyed and taken over by the Babylonians. That's 100 years from, that, from, from Isaiah. And then people return to Jerusalem. We saw that in Malachi on Sunday evenings. But then we know that the Romans then destroyed Jerusalem again in 70 AD. And then as you get to Revelation chapter 21, you see the new Jerusalem, again, the final Jerusalem coming down from heaven where God will be with his people. And so we get these wonderful pictures and they help us understand what God is trying to say. And so here we have this strange picture of a shoot and a stump and of a branch. Now, if you've read the, the chapters between verses chapter 2 and chapter 11, it'd be great to, to do that at some point. We see that actually this stump, trees and stumps have come up already. And let me fill you in the gaps between chapters 2 and 11. Israel and Judah have been living in rebellion against God. We saw that last week. They've disobeyed him. Their leaders have been bad leaders. They've been following foreign gods, making alliances with foreign nations. And God warns them to repent or there will be judgment. And in Isaiah chapter 6, he says that this judgment will come, the land will be laid waste, and all that will remain will be a stump. And then God promises that from this stump, the holy seed will be the stump of the land. And this stump, the stump we see in chapter 11, from that stump, a shoot will grow. But stumps are not only related to Israel and Judah, but related to Assyria. Take a look at the last verse of chapter, chapter 10, the last couple of verses. We see Assyria is described as having lofty trees and great forests. But God promises to fell the trees. He promises to cut down the forests in judgment. And so by chapter 11, there just seems to be no hope. God's people and foreign nations are under God's judgment. What hope is there for peace? Well, verse 1, a shoot. A shoot will come from this stump of Jesse. I'm sure we've all seen tree stumps in different ways. Maybe you moved into a new house and in your garden was this tree that had been cut down. All that was left was a tree stump and it looked dead. It looked like it had no life. But then spring came, and suddenly there were shoots and little branches and leaves coming up out of it. And from what seemed to be dead, there was new life. Well, who is this stump? Who is this stump, Jesse? 
Well, if you think back to your history of the Old Testament, you think of, of 1 Samuel chapter 16, when we first meet Jesse, and we realize that Jesse is the father of David, the shepherd boy who becomes king. David is the king who loved God. He had a heart after God's own heart and wanted to serve him. From David would come the promised Messiah. David is the king that all other kings are compared to because he was God's king and God's best king. And from the root of David, promise would come. But yet here we see that it's from Jesse. From Jesse a shoot will come. So we see that it's not one that's going to be like David, but actually a new David. A new David will come. One who is true and faithful in heart. One who loves God, as Jesse's son did. This new David will not be like other kings because he will produce good fruits and bring new life. And so who is this king? Who is this one that we are waiting for? Have you guessed it yet? If you were at the evening service last week, Dan took us through Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus. And we see that Jesus is descended from some great Old Testament characters like Jesse and like David. And if you read through Acts chapter 13, we see there also that Paul is preaching a sermon and he talks about the history of, of Israel. And he says, after removing Saul, Saul, he made David his king. And from David would come the Savior, Jesus, as he had promised. And then Paul, again, speaking to the, the Romans, encouraging them that the, for the Gentiles, for the non-Jews, that you too are included in the people of God, he summarizes verse 1 and verse 10 of Isaiah 11. And he says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. So this shoot that comes from the stump is the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the true king of Israel, the true king of the world. So that is who he is. But what is he like? Read with me from verse 2 of Isaiah 11. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Here is one who is filled with the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit will be in him. We think of Jesus' relationship with the Holy Spirit, think of the New Testament and the Gospels, think of that promise made to Mary by the angel Gabriel, saying that you will conceive of the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus was baptized and John the Baptist describes how the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon Jesus. Here, Jesus is filled with the Spirit. Here, we don't have human approach, but we have divine intervention. Here we have Jesus, who is divine, of course. He is fully man and fully God. Here we have one, a ruler who will come, who is perfect in wisdom and understanding because it's from God. It is God. He's one who knows the best and right decisions to make. He's one who can make those decisions in the full knowledge of all situations. He's able to discern the truth of what comes his way. He rules with authority. He will accomplish all that he puts himself to, and he will produce results. 
His motive will to be for the glory of God. His heart and his desire is for the Lord. Do you long for a leader like that? Can you imagine somebody like that? Would you long to vote for someone like that, a leader who will fulfill all the promises that they make? Divine wisdom, superior than human wisdom, the human approach of the Dalai Lama will always fail. Whether it be our current leaders, politicians, your employers, church leaders, they do not exercise in complete understanding. They don't always make the right decisions. Their motivation is not the glory of God, and they don't always accomplish what is best. But here we see that Jesus is one who knows what is right. He will bring peace and justice. Because this is what he will do. This is what he'll do. He will judge. Second part of verse 3. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. He will judge, and his judgment will be fair. He'll not be swayed by public opinion, by clever journalists, or by spin doctors. He'll not be distracted by fame and money and power, like the kings of Israel were. His judgment will not be human wisdom. I was surprised recently to read that in the last few years, here in the UK, there have been judges and magistrates who have been fired or have resigned because of their behavior, because of their approach to their defendants, because of accepting bribes, because of being involved in illegal activities themselves. Here are those who we trust, legal representatives who are using their power for their own personal gain. But Jesus is one who is just and righteous, brings truth. He will rule in favor of those who cannot give him anything in return. His concern will be for those who usually get the rough end of the deal. His judgment is fair. But his judgment is also decisive. The middle of verse 4, he will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. It's a powerful word, strong. Jesus' judgment is complete. People get what they deserve, all according to his righteousness and his justice. We are very happy to think of God's justice when it, it is for people who are evil, like the terrorists. But when it speaks about all people being under the judgment of God, when it speaks about people that we know, that we love, people that don't love Christ, it's hard for us to read. It's hard for us to accept. And though I long for those that I know and love to come to Jesus, 
I know also that God's judgment is fair and right, and his judgment is in response to how they have responded to him. But do you notice that Jesus, his judgment is not with weapons and bombs and guns, but it's with his mouth, his word of judgment upon people. His word is final. And one day that will come. One day God's judgment will come and it will be final. And yet we see that this Jesus, this shoot from the root of Jesse, he's already come. He came that that very first Christmas as we will celebrate this month. Born in a manger in the town of David. He came to die upon a cross for him himself to suffer the judgment of God as he died in our place. He bore the wrath. He was, as in the words of Isaiah, was struck and was slain. So that people like you and I, if we trust in him, can escape that and be free. It's here that we see those multiple fulfillments of prophecy. The mountain range that we thought about last week. As we see this prophecy here in full, we see how it's fulfilled in different stages. As we put on our biblical binoculars and look down through the history of the Bible, we see Jesus' first coming when he deals with the judgment of God, bearing it on the cross, rising from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death. But yet further down the line, still future for us, Jesus will return again. And he will come as judge. So how do you respond to that knowledge? How do you respond to that judgment? Isaiah shows us a king, a leader who is divine in character, who is powerful, who is just and righteous in all he does, who is fair and faithful. Do you trust him? Do you trust this judge? In contrast to our human leaders, their human approach, we see Jesus, his divine intervention, one who brings an amazing hope, who brings a real true future that we can trust because we've seen his character already in his first coming. One who is righteous and faithful, that is who he is. He is the clothes that he wears. And we can trust in this judge. We can trust in the judge because of his character, but we can also trust him because of the effects of his judgment, the effects of his judgment. If you were here last week in chapter 2, I didn't cover these verses about the end of war. Let me read them to you again. Verse 4 of chapter 2, he will judge between nations, settle disputes among people, They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isaiah speaks of a time when there will be no more war. Among nations, but even within nations, where weapons will be used for good purposes. There'll be no more terrorists. There'll be no more need to vote how to deal with terrorists. There'll be no more pilots training to drop bombs, no more police practicing simulations of how to deal with a terrorist attack. That will not be upon our minds. There will be no need for an army. Wouldn't that be an amazing day? 
Can you see it? Can you picture it? Can you imagine it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that you can turn on the news and all you'll see is war stories of peace? No more conflicts, no more death, no more disaster. Just good news. Isaiah has been teaching us that there is a judge who will come. But in chapter 11, he, his, the effects of his judgment are not about humanity, but about nature and about creation around him. And we saw those extraordinary words between verses 6 and 9. Let me read those to you again. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near a cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Extraordinary. I'm sure you've seen the nature documentaries on TV or the YouTube clips of feeding time in the Africa savannah where you have animals the strong and the powerful, hunting, killing, devouring their prey. Nature, for us, is a cruel place. It's brutal. Can you imagine a calf and a lamb feeding together? Can you picture a wolf and a lamb having a nap in the midday sun? Can you picture this? Can you imagine a child putting its hand into the nest of a viper? It sends shivers down your spine thinking about it. It takes more than just world peace to bring something like this about. We're talking about a complete change in the natural world. The way that creation works now. We're thinking about a return back to Genesis before Genesis 3. Back to Eden. This is what Isaiah is saying. This is a reverse of the curse. This is an end to all longing and yearning that creation has right now, as we read in Romans 8. Waiting and longing for the Lord to return. A place where God himself will be present on earth. The branch from the root of Jesse has come once and he will return and there will be goodness and righteousness the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord last week I referred to the film The Matrix it was a good film unfortunately they made a couple of not so great sequels but what I really love about the end of the last film is that we see Neo, Neo, the savior of humanity. He defeats the evil agent Smith, brings peace between humans and the machines. And you have this picture of a new creation. The world is changed. And it's peaceful. 
and there are the sound of birds, and there's a beautiful sunrise, if I remember correctly. It's just a wonderful picture of, of what that day will be like. Can you imagine it? This picture that Isaiah paints for us here in chapter 11. If you have trusted in Christ, you will see it. You will experience it. No more suffering. No more death. No more evil. No more illness. No more colds. No more loss. No more disappointment. No more war. A place that as we read in Revelation chapter 1, God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. God tells Isaiah to tell his people, this is the future. This is the hope you can experience if you trust in me.